1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash ACAST. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai so what are you waiting for go stream something new on Hulu
2: Harry and Meghan are back with a new documentary books are written about our story from people who
0: I don't know doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us but
2: do we really need
1: any more of them There's a hierarchy of the family. Tonight, there is a new royal scandal. And that sort of press pack of royal correspondence is essentially just an extended PR arm of of the royal family.
0: They were still going to find a way to
2: destroy me. You're listening to Pop Culture with me, Shantae Joseph, for The Guardian. How many times are we going to hear the real story behind Harry and Meghan? I mean, we all saw that Tell All Oprah interview. You'd think after that, they'd be done, right? But no. Since then, we've seen magazine covers, Meghan's new podcast out with Spotify, and Harry has a book coming out in January. And if that wasn't enough, they're releasing a six-part docuseries on Netflix where the couple claim to finally take control of their narrative. The first volume was out last week and the second part is released today. But at this point, Meg and Harry just feel like any old celebrity to me. So what are they actually trying to achieve this time?
3: I've just this moment finished watching the third episode of the Harry and Meghan documentary.
2: So it's actually fresh in your mind and it's you're ready to It's fresh in my go. mind.
3: I am full with the ire towards the British media that they want us to have.
2: Jim Waterson is the Guardian's media editor. What is your take on the first part of this two-parter, well, six-parter, should I say, in two releases? Documentary.
3: Well, after three hours of watching it, I mean, you, you can take away a few things. One is that they that this is very much their story, and they feel that they haven't had the chance to put it across because it's all come through a lens. And it's telling that years ago, Harry's mother, Princess Diana, felt she needed to do a sit down with a journalist at the BBC and a proper sort of interview to get her case across. And nowadays, you don't do that. You go straight to Netflix and they pay you for a product where you get control over the end uh, output, you get to decide uh, what it looks and sounds like, and you get to have basically an unadulterated take on your view of how the world is from your end of the telescope. And that's kind of what you get. You get a couple that look like they are really into each other and you get a couple who clearly feel that they were hung out to dry both by the royal family and by, and it's a really important thing to emphasise here, by British print newspapers in particular.
1: It's really hard to look back on it now and go, what on earth happened? Like, how did we end up here? Fair to say Britain is in shock this morning. dramatic and shocking announcement from Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Announcing they're taking a step back from their royal duties. Prince Harry appears to be on a, quote, trajectory of self-destruction.
2: And in terms of what the response has been to this uh, documentary, particularly from the royal family, what have you seen?
3: Well, the, the royal family never just put out a statement going, we, the royal family, <laughs> say this is a load of rubbish. And, and actually, it's quite meta because in the, in the series, there's Harry going, well, there's these royal reporters and they sometimes get exclusives, but they're quite often fed lines by the
1: palace. And that sort of press pack of royal correspondence is essentially just a, an extended PR arm of, of, of the royal family. So it's been an agreement that's been there for over 30 years.
3: And then this weekend, a lot of the same Mm. royal reporters were having, you know, a source close to the future king, Prince William, a a source close to the royal family, emphasised that this was really a very exaggerated (laughs) claim and they were in no way made to feel unwelcome Harry and Meghan when they uh, brought Meghan into the royal family. So you've almost seen the thing that has been described in the series Mm. now being deployed to quietly knock down the series. And and there's a really interesting bit where prince harry in the film kind of fudges how he describes uh the royal experts who are deployed you know the sort of male online headline which Mm -hmm. is you know uh, megan's body language suggests that she's unhappy says royal expert and it's just some guy who you know worked for princess diana for six months in 1995 but then he does hit on something which is there is a small group of reporters who are on a rotor who have close relations with the palace and it's sort of a very managed relationship the royals agree that they punch them a bit and in return they get fed some sort of friendly lines every so often. Right. It's a strange sort of journalism. It's a very sort of managed relationship.
2: So much of this documentary deals with tabloids and the relationship they have with the royals and, you know, some of it being kind of good for them and sometimes it being you know part of their, their downfall. But do you, can you give any more context to the nature of this relationship,
3: kind of how it started and how it's changed over time? Well, I mean, interest and intrigue in like Royal Courts is probably the oldest media story going, right? It's power and it's gossip. The weird thing is now, of course, they have very limited power, but they're still wealthy and prominent. And a lot of this is, I think there's an element of Meghan thinking she's joining one thing that looks after people and is run uh, with the sort of professional PR power of a Hollywood movie studio Mm. and finding out actually – as with many things in the British establishment, once you poke it a bit there's you know there's there's one guy holding up a piece of plyboard and the whole thing collapses as soon as you put any pressure on it that there's there's not really an infrastructure there, and it's all a bit shabby and whether it's the sort of expectation that they can rein in these papers, or Harry alluding to the fact that other members of the royal family felt very much that well you know we got beaten up by the tabloids in her time. This is like a hazing ritual to join yeah, yeah. to join the family. And the undertone of it all is very much, well, my mother went through this and look how that ended for her, mm-hmm. being chased by paparazzi in 1997. I don't want this to happen again.
1: What people need to understand is, as far as a lot of the family were concerned, everything that she was being put through, they had been put through as well. So it was almost like a rite of passage. And some of the members of the family was like, right, but my wife had to go through that so why should your girlfriend be treated any differently? Why should you get special treatment? Why should she be protected?
3: You know, there's, there's a sort of dynamic that is interesting because you see a lot of shots in the film of banks of paparazzi. Right. You know, guys with long lenses standing on the other side of the road. And a lot of that is from archive footage of Harry's youth or around his mother. And changing privacy laws and things like that do mean you don't quite get those same uncalled for, unorganised like crushes anymore of the media but what you do get which they emphasize is that the the few pictures and the more organized pictures that do come out create sort of a social media fury that feels even worse the intrusion is maybe less physical Mm -hmm. than it was when he was growing up and maybe more mental
1: paparazzi still harass people but the harassment really exists more online now once the photographs are out and the story is then put next to it, then comes the social media harassment. Press tactics
3: have changed, but when you're at the centre of the attention, you might not have noticed the way in which it's changed. It, is, it feels to me like it's much more inside his head. And it's clear that he is on Instagram. He's reading all the coverage. He mm. is feeding back on specific headlines. You know, he has clearly got a lurker account that we don't know about on social media that he uses. Uh, and he is very much of this world feeling the gut punch from every headline.
2: When I watch this documentary and I look at the way that they talk about the press, for me, it doesn't really feel that shocking. I think because I've grown up, I guess, in an era of watching loads of documentaries about people like Jade Goody and watching documentaries about the bone hacking saga. And it just kind of feels like having an understanding that like the British tabloid media can be very intrusive, to me, doesn't feel shocking because I'm so aware of what's happened before in, this, in the past from pop stars to kind of politicians, but is this Netflix documentary worthy simply because they are part of the royal family?
3: Well, you wouldn't have seen this documentary made 20 years ago because people wouldn't have wanted to give them the same level of free hit on the media. I mean, the media is a sort of wounded, and particularly the British tabloid media is a sort of wounded animal lashing out. It's got a weird mix of sort of fewer loyal readers that make money while also getting like increasingly more desperate for clicks online. And this is why sort of turning Harry and Meghan into polarizing figures ticks a lot of boxes, because it just drives clicks. These are not the powerful institutions they once were. In some ways, I think it's quite in keeping with the sort of mood of the moment to say, I don't like these papers. Mm. And you're going to find a willing audience, especially a younger audience, who'll lap up that messaging.
2: And are there any repercussions? Because, you know, you were saying people are Kind of still going to click on the website and still click on the stories. And so
3: repercussions for the media. For the media, yeah. I think less from this documentary, but more general shift due to the British courts getting tougher on privacy and around the world, that being a thing that's tightening up. Generally, lack of money in the industry means that the idea that you're going to get these same long lens shots from someone who's camped out in a car for three weeks to get the one picture, Mm. it's just not worth it anymore. I covered the Wagatha Christie trial Mm. and uh, involving the two footballers' wives, Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy. And a lot of that was about Rooney going, I want to control my own narrative. I don't want the tabloids setting the story of my life. I don't want to collaborate with them. I want to be able to put the picture I want out on Instagram and have that as my family image. And it's mm. a bit the same you can tell with Meng. There's a tension there uh, between basically the way the royals do it and manage the British media and manage being subsidized by British taxpayers ultimately. Right. And the sort of expectations of her going, well, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to play the game. It all to me feels very impersonal.
2: And I don't think I've ever felt particularly like, I don't need to know all this insight into these people's lives and I don't feel like I want to know, but it kind of feels like even people who don't care that much about the royals are angered at Meghan not doing all this stuff because they feel entitled to access to her.
3: Did you feel sorry for them? Did you feel no. I, you didn't feel sorry no. for them? Not a bit. Did you feel on any level that it would be a miserable existence to be a member of the Royals? I mean,
2: even if it was, I think my sympathy is always gonna be capped up forty percent. Because I just feel like you just you live this life of just pure like luxury and enjoyment. And it's like, oh boo-hoo, you have to go and you know shake some people's hands at a reception where you can have nice finger sandwiches and Victoria sponge cakes every day. Like I've never I've never felt bad. And even when I think about Megan and everything she went through in the press, like, yes, she's done a brilliant job at raising awareness of the fact that there's a lot of racism in British media and racism in, in society, and at the same time, capped up forty percent there's only so much that I can really extend sympathy to her because you should have understood the institution that you were getting yourself into it's so kind of like central to its identity that it's like this is not something that you can simply skirt over and I know she talks about not being black when she was in the states and only realizing it in the UK your mother's a black woman as well so I just kind of feel like there should have been some level of awareness so I struggle to feel bad for them
3: I think the thing to unpack that is did she know what she was getting into. Like, did she really know quite how full on the attention would be and the sort of combing through absolutely every single bit of it? But I think the other bit that I I don't see how how it was ever compatible that they were going to try and treat the media differently while remaining active royals, sort of doing things in the UK. Um, if you are on some level getting public money in the uk and you are being paid uh, to have your finger buffet at your event then it would always be quite hard to make the case that the media should be excluded from that and you should have complete control over it yeah but that is what a you know an actor in a successful tv show would expect that's Mm. what someone who's grown up in the us would expect in the us relationships with between celebrity prs and tabloids are way more managed i think yeah uh than in the UK or at least than they used to be in the UK where more intrusive methods were were often the standard and a lot of it does seem to come down to differing expectations of what you could what you could do mm. i'm maybe
2: more sympathetic to them than you are maybe cuz i just i i struggled i'm constantly drawn back to history i think about this family, their legacy, what that means for me. And then it makes me like lack sympathy for them. So I think for me, it's more of like a historical and political sort of thing that I sometimes struggle to get behind. Because
3: they were in some way representing, because they were sort of trying to be self-aware about it while also still being very much of the system.
2: Yeah, but still wanting to be a part of the system. It's like, we want to be accepted even though we know it's wrong. But now we're on the receiving end of like this negative treatment. It's an issue. But if this never happened, we wouldn't be having any of these conversations.
3: So much of the treatment around them as a couple is in the same format as modern celebrity and and modern fandom, which is either someone's the greatest person in the world or the worst person in the world, rather than human beings are confusing characters who have lots of different views, who may be right on some points and wrong on others. If this was a court, you've had, the best part of a decade of the kind of case of the prosecution against Harry and Meghan in the British tabloids. And now you've got almost, this is their case for the defence. This mm. is, you've seen us in the worst possible light. This is us in the best possible light.
2: It's interesting. So do you think they've kind of, they've done this because they want to get and control their narrative, but in some ways it it almost feels like they will never have true control of the narrative or truly be free because, you know, they, may not be at the service of Buckingham Palace anymore, but then kind of now at the service of Netflix. So have they actually been kind of successful in claiming back their narrative? Or are they still beholden to the media or to some other higher sort of power institution?
3: Well, they've got a horrible life ahead of being, you know, judged in opposition to other people and other members of their family, that their whole existence is very much, you know, your Prince Harry, the former member of the royal family who fled to California. Mm. I I know there's a lot of it which is sort of, his our idyllic California life. Mm. Quite often they speak a bit like they've sort of consumed a whole book of therapy, and (laughs) the language they use can seem a little bit um, stilted maybe to a British ear. To see this institutional gaslighting.
0: I wasn't being thrown to the wolves, I was being fed to the wolves.
1: They were actively recruiting people to disseminate disinformation. They were happy to lie to protect my brother. They were never willing to tell the truth to protect us.
2: What do we expect from volume two then?
3: I think this is where maybe the full criticism of the media comes down the track. You've got the context of all of this, which is Harry, very soon after he and Meghan's relationship was made public, issued a statement criticizing the British media. Both he and his wife have had court cases uh, against outlets um they have sued associated newspapers who publish the mail and mail online and the mail on sunday he has got a case against uh, reach who owned the express and the mirror he's also got a case against the publisher of the sun and there's another case that he has brought personally against the uh, publisher of the mail on sunday over a different story so you know there is wow. barely a national newspaper publisher in the uk i think only the parent companies of The Telegraph, The Guardian, and The Financial Times haven't been, uh, you know, had to face them off in court. So this is a, and he is spending millions in legal fees on these things, which if he loses, he won't get back. So this is an expensive business. You know, he, he could just go to California and leave this all behind, but he is choosing to fight almost every single uh, possible angle. So all of this is a couple who have, who have almost made it their life's work to oppose the traditional British media establishment. And I think a lot of the coverage that you read is probably worth reading in that context.
2: Let's take a royal recess. And when we come back, we'll look at Meghan Markle and her relationship with race and riches.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard.
2: Welcome back, guys. Now, my personal feelings on this Harry and Meg situation are low-key conflicted because I am sure the things Meg has been through are terrible, but I also cannot fathom being so out of touch about race and history to willingly make the decision to marry into the royal family. I really needed to see how other Black women felt about this, so I hit up L'Oreal Blackett, an editor at Refinery29, for Unbothered UK, their platform made for and by Black people. I want to start by playing a clip from the Netflix documentary.
0: Obviously now people are very aware of my race because they made it such an issue when I went to the UK. But before that, most people didn't treat me like a black woman. So that talk didn't have to happen for me.
2: I found that statement really interesting because it taught me a lot about Megan who she is, her politics, and why she kind of is the way she is. But when you heard that, what did you think?
0: For me, living as a Black woman, unambiguously as a Black woman, and navigating school and work and relationships, and people told me I was a Black woman. So my first instinct was complete discomfort. And especially since she said she's seen her mum experience racism. Living in the US, so there was also this confusion as well. But then having to sit back, digest it a little bit, it was honest. Mm. And through that honesty, I was thinking, you know what? We can have a real conversation about colorism here and privilege. Mm. Because I do not relate to that. I do not relate to that
2: at all there was definitely a missed opportunity i think in that for her to to talk about colorism for her to talk about her experiences why she was able to pass what that afforded her in terms of like you know benefits in her career even in her social life even in her love life now she's being awarded for you know being a a campaigner against like racial injustice and stuff like that but it's like you didn't know that you was black until 2 ticks ago do you feel that her lack of understanding about race can explain the naivety that she kind of had towards the royal family?
0: I mean, absolutely. I think she told us. And I think mm. the path that she walked through life really has coloured her decisions. I think what Meghan has explained, even when she was talking about her career, she's has this reasonable expectation of acceptance. And I think she's woken up. She did have a lot of naivety.
2: Yeah, there's something in her suddenly not being treated as if she was a white person that m- made her you know discover this new conscious this new activism this new interest in you know racial justice
0: it's a tough one with Megan it's a tough one with Megan because I do listen she's gone through some unbelievable racism actually believable racism from what we know <laughs> about the British press and the, and the monarchy itself and those three stories are valid and I can see what's fueling her activism now but yeah. it just feels a bit self-serving at points
2: this whole documentary is like her self discovery of like realizing that like britain is racist and realizing that she's black and realizing that she will also be subject to racism a huge part of megan's gripe in the documentary is with the media right and as someone who's an editor like you're you're a part of this this media that i think in the documentary she is very like critical of what would you say your kind of experiences in media have been, like, can you identify a lot of the racism that Meghan talks about within newsrooms as well as kind of what we see on the outside?
0: I've worked for tabloids in the past. I know how things are spun. Meghan Markle is doing what I think is is smart. She's trying to use the machine for her favour now. And I'm a person that I can identify with that if I've got a voice and I've been told that I'm not allowed to say anything okay now it's time to hear it is it a bit iffy the fact that she's criticizing the media for speaking her name and then now she's using it for her own advantage yeah but I kind of rate that at the same time
2: the thing is I like, I do I do hear it like she's kind of fighting fire with fire and it makes sense but I feel like my biggest issue is that like the, the hypocrisy at play here is the fact that the British media have been incredibly racist and vindictive to people who have dared to speak out about the royal family. And Meghan's issue is that I'm a part of the royal family and I should be kind of protected and defended with the same vigor as everyone else. But because she's obviously discovering her blackness and she's not receiving that protection, she's now got a huge gripe with the media. And and what I'm kind of really struggling to, to reconcile for me is the fact that she is she is angry at the media because of all of the press that they've made, but this is how they operate. But she's just upset because she's on the receiving end of it, not because it's a wrong thing. So it, it kind of just, like you said before, it all just feels self-serving. And like, you know, as a student, I was on the receiving end of, you know, tabloids writing stuff about me trying to contact my university for a quote. And obviously my university is like, whatever, Shante talks about anti-racism. Like, this is nothing new to us. But it's like, I've I've been there and I understand it. And I kind of feel like her only issue is with the fact that she's not not a part of the protected class. You thought that this sort of like proximity to whiteness that you had in the US would translate over here perfectly so you could continue to overlook the injustices that happen. That's why I keep saying like my sympathy is capped at 40% because I really am just like struggling. How do I become a better person?
0: (laughs) I mean, how do we all become a better person? Because we all have these questions (laughs) because I think it was our instinct is to protect Megan, to ride for Megan, because um, mm. she has experienced such a degree of racism. It's, it, it's, it was wild out here. But at the same time, again, it's what we were saying before. We're just realising that she's coming to realise these things. She's realising things. It's twofold, really, because I do like Megan. Yeah. I like what she's trying to do. She is shaking the table of this institution, now, regardless of what you think about it. Um, I haven't seen it rocks like this, especially when it comes to racism through my in my really do
2: you think though every week we're having a new debate about the same issues and this is what draws me the most it's like yes megan has alighted this conversation but none of these conversations have developed on from the ones that we were having in 2020 the ones True. we were having before them True. we have the same black commentators going on the same shows parroting the same lines it's the same narrative and i just feel like every time we have these discussions and there's like a flurry of media we all Feel like something is happening but in six months time when the next racist thing has happened we're just going to be saying the same stuff again
0: i agree with you 100 percent. this conversation doesn't seem to be able to move past whether racism exists in this country we can't exactly, seem to exactly. all collectively agree on that racist issues in this country does not did not begin and end with megan and we need to stop
2: yeah for paying real. it
0: out as if it has but I understand Meg, what Meghan is trying to do, but it can fall flat. It can feel a little mm. bit fickle. It doesn't feel fully fleshed out. I I also want to put
2: it, put this to you as well. I I wonder if the reason why people are seemingly obsessed with this the Meghan Harry situation is is just because they are royals and they're rich. Because I've just finished watching White Lotus. Literally watched the last episode of it yesterday. I love shows like Succession and it genuinely just feel like across media, there is this sort of like deep interest in rich people, in rich people being evil and in, in the squabbles rich people have. And I wonder if they're just kind of an extension of this interest that we have in the lives of those who are so accessible for us. Like, I, I don't know if people genuinely care, but we're just nosy because we want to know what it's like on the inside of such a prestigious and removed institution.
0: Oh, we like rich people mess. Mm-hmm. We love it.
2: Mm-hmm. We love
0: it. We're so invested at the beginning of their fairy tale. And it is a drama playing out, a royal drama playing out in real time. A lot of us can't really relate to Harry and Megal's so-called struggle but we can support the drama. I kinda, I'm on their side if it is a struggle, but I, I don't deeply relate to it in the sense that um, they can't tell me about my life here in the UK as a Black British person.
2: Meghan and Harry haven't convinced me that I should care about their story. Maybe volume two will do that, but I really do doubt it. What I can say though, is that I enjoy a good drama and this family feud seems to keep on giving. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you did, then please subscribe and leave me a review. This week's episode was produced by Hattie Moya, sound design by Mal Lissetto, original music by Axel Kukutie, and the executive producer is Maz Ebtaraj. See you next Thursday.